right, so let's begin. What is this agenda about? What are board structures and operating procedures? Why are they um, important? Where, what are the signs of inadequate structures and procedures or where there's challenges around them? Why do they occur? What can be done about them? And how have boards changed in response to assessments of, um, of them within uh, you know, board, the context of board effectiveness? So I wanna start with a quote by my colleague, uh, Professor David Renz at University of Kansas City, Missouri. And what he says to be clear about this is that governance is a function and a board is a structure. It's a legal structure, it's a colonial structure, but is a structure. Within the sort of context of board effectiveness, how does this, uh, how do structures and procedures fit? And this is the first, um, influence that we're going to talk about in this research to practice series. So we started uh, the series with the governance process. So the board's um, due diligence and fiduciary roles and responsibilities, the board's role and responsibilities in planning, the board's role in performance assessment, the board's role in fundraising and resource development. So we covered those in the previous sessions. Now we're covering these other influences. And these are factors that um, are associated with board effectiveness um, and key influences on how well the board governs. So I sort of want to situate this conceptually so you get an idea that this is an influence on governance. And um, it's a dimension of board effectiveness in itself. And so it's one of them, one of the sections that's covered in the board checkup. So where does this fit in terms of governance? Well, in the it falls really within the the board's fiduciary governance role <coughs> around ensuring that the the structures and procedures exist to ensure the organization advances its purpose, it doesn't drift, and it's compliance with laws and regulations. So that's sort of how this fits um, in terms of modes of governance, theoretically. And then um, from an institutional, I'm just gonna let someone else in here, from an institutional theoretical perspective, you know, last, um, meeting we went over each each um, dimension has different theory assumptions and theor theory that explain what effectiveness is within it. And so from this perspective, um, the assumptions are that the interests of the organization are advanced when the behaviors and practices of the board align with the external environment and that um, that those structures and procedures increase alignment with practice standards associated with effectiveness. So this is sort of the assumptions of the theory behind this perspective and how it relates to effectiveness. Now, 
let's talk about, I think I want to just skip over, I'm going to skip over that one for a second because I've divided them up, but let's talk about what they are first um, before we get into some of the challenges. So we have board structures and procedures. Let's start with the procedures. So those are really the rules by which the board operates and they're specified in the constitution and bylaws. These are legally required um, and they vary by jurisdiction. Um, they reflect that history of the organization and, um, and the board in which um, that uh, uh, corporation was registered and they can vary by uh, where that location is. Uh, for example, in um, I'm on a board in New York but it was incorporated in um, Massachusetts. And so the board really has to comply with two sets of laws um, for the state of Massachusetts and the state of New York. And so that for, you know, when, when laws started changing and the organization moved, this became a bigger issue um, for the board in terms of whether it was compliant or not. Um, it also includes <clears throat> these um, uh, procedures also include terms of office for board members and officers and committees of the board. Um, they provide a mechanism for renewal of the board and um, officers, and they define the membership and authority of members, quorums for meetings, and matters that must be put to a vote of the membership. So these are important, um, important um, documents. They also include, procedures also include position descriptions that define the authority of um, board members and the competencies and qualifications to carry um, those positions out could also include a board manual that encompasses many of these documents uh, that provide a source of history and information for new board members and renewal for um, existing board members. They can include things like definitions and terms, procedures and key policies, um, governance, accountability, document retention, conflicts of interest. Again, they may vary by what's required by jurisdiction. Um, and then those position descriptions. Um, having one doesn't assume that people are aware of them and that they have read them, um, but they uh, are important to um, as a guide for the board, especially when um, there are issues before it that it needs to um, deliberate. Procedures can also encompass um, support uh, for the board in terms of helping it with its governance work. So um, recording, coordinating, and could also include technology that the board has access to facilitate um, this or even store many of these documents. In terms of structures, then, we're talking about the size of the board, um, board offices, and committees. So um, 
the um, size of the board um, can help the board access resources. It can help it become more representative, becomes a link to the environment and helps it carry out that its governance role and responsibilities, whatever it may be. And of course, this may vary according to whether the board is all volunteer, a working board, whether it's a policy only governance board and um, whether it, it's sort of a hybrid of both of those. Structures uh, and uh, offices are structures and these are the leadership functions and, and administrative functions of the board reflected in um, key leadership positions, chair and vice chair, treasurer, and um, does require clear descriptions and training for those offices. Committees can be can also vary depending on um, the board and organization, what type it is. They can be task groups, policy, working, standing, or special projects. So we're going to cover more, more of this. I'm just sort of defining them here. And again, they vary by type of organization and the model of governance. And if you're curious about that, in the very first Research to Practice webinar, we went through the different models of governance and you um, may want to revisit that. I'm not going to go into it today. So why do boards experience problems with these things, with structures and procedures? I'm going to open it up to you now for a minute. Why do you think that is or do that in your experience? Feel free to unmute. Any theories about this? Why the why boards experience challenges? Okay, well let's let's look at at some of them. So it could be just that they haven't been updated. So they were created when the organization was incorporated and they haven't been reviewed or updated since. And um, it also could be that the board um, doesn't change them as the organization professionalizes and grows. And so they maybe they started out as a, a working board and now sort of moved into a hybrid function, but, but the structures and procedures hadn't changed to reflect that new stage of development. There could be a lack of, of knowledge and awareness of the influence that these that board structures and procedures have on the governance process and, um, and have also on the behavior of the board and how that can inhibit the board. There could be um, a culture that exists within the board that may seem may be informal, and these are these are you know, structures and procedures are all about formality and organization. And it, so that culture may um, 
may value informality or it may see, it may see these as a barrier or unnecessary to governance. Could also be that the leadership um, of the chair or CEO or a group or or a core group within the board um, affects how these are carried out accord according to their knowledge and skills or the values that they place on them. Or it could be that bo the board's simply unaware um, and does it and most boards that are at risk for this are those that um, don't assess uh, their performance and change and self-regulate to change themselves. These are the challenges that uh, we've identified that are assessed in the checkup. And you can see that they span everything from the bylaws to the policy manual, to the size of the board, to those job descriptions, admin support, access to tools and technology to facilitate the work, um, to commit, and a lot of questions about committees and chairs and um, contribution. So these are the challenges. And do you think we've missed any in here? And I'm gonna share with you what, what the um, thousands of board members have um, indicated in terms of which are most salient. Um, any that we've missed, do you think? Okay, well, let's see what they are. All right, so I've highlighted them in this dashboard from most perceived to be most to least problematic. And the, at the very top, the most problematic are um, committees, members that don't contribute um, very much or don't have enough experience for them to be functional or they're unclear of about their responsibilities, the committee and authority. Others then the next sort of set are around, around those procedures, the bylaws, the policy manual, um, job descriptions mainly, or committees that aren't really useful anymore. Um, and then lack of use of the tools that the board has access to. And then the least problematic is admin support for the board, access to tools and technology, and the size of the board. So let's, and then how does, how do structures and procedures fit sort of overall in terms of the challenges that boards face um, uh, based on the perceptions of those who have assessed their board's effectiveness? It's sort of in the middle. Um, not not highly uh, problematic as fundraising and resource development is, um, but you know not, but but still but still challenging for boards. So let's talk about what to do about this. What can boards do, and what have they done in response to these challenges? So. Um, you know, it's a good idea, especially now, and we're seeing this sort of 
globally different countries and different states and provinces uh, reviewing their laws that are tend to be really outdated in terms of not-for-profit law. And, um, and so many, many changes have um, many uh, let new legislation has been enacted and within the, the legislation are new regulations um, that require some of them have many of them have implications for boards and governance and structures and procedures. So, for example, compliance with the law, you're going to see that in the state of New York boards. Um, need to have a conflict of interest policy and procedure and how that links in with um, the documentation and minutes and recording of those conflicts. Um, similarly, audit committees, and there are regulations around the composition of those committees, whether and those being defined as independent directors serving on them who have um, who are at arm's length from finance with the organization. So these are all specified in those regulations. It's a good idea to check um, as you're going through renewal, what if and what those changes are and making sure that any updates um, need, need to reflect that for compliance purposes. And so, but also not just beyond compliance, because we've been talking about compliance and board effectiveness. And we, we know from the research that um, the boards that change for compliance purposes only tend not to adopt, um, uh, tend not to change their behavior and practices. Um, they, will, they will follow the regulation, but they may not, make changes in alignment with best practices. So some of the other um, suggestions for change are around are unique um, to the board and organization, what the history is of that organization, the type of organization, and the needs of the board. And so here's just some uh, so a list of some bullet points about membership. Uh, voting. Um, these are things that tend to be fairly, um, that, that can vary um, and not a one size fits all. There need to be quorums, what has to be decided by the membership, for example, how to amend the bylaws, um, what kinds of decisions can the board make and can they make them electronically and so on. But whatever, so some are in compliance with regulations and some are unique to the organization. And uh, but whatever is change really does need should be reviewed by a lawyer to make sure that they are compliant and um, um, in the best interests of the corporation. On the manual side, uh, you know having a history of the organization and its purpose and and is that reflected in um is that purpose adequately stated from the bylaws and are people aware of that i think that i was at a board retreat last weekend 
And we all brought our bylaws. We're an association with different um, uh, branches throughout the region. And we all have um, we all have parts of our purpose that align, but we all had different purposes. And were we aware of that? And um, how do we work together to advance our purpose, but build our relationships? And that was one of the things that we were talking about. But everyone, we did bring a manual, which um, all the documents that were in it were available online. They were on our website, but really nobody was, um, nobody really knew how to interpret them. Um, make use of them. And so we compiled them in a meaningful way and um, people and discussed um, their implementation. So that's what a, a, a good use of a manual that sort of becomes a, a Bible for the organization and um, a handbook that can be really useful to existing, as I said, in new members. Um, it should... Uh, state how the board governs. So what's unique to that organization? Are we a working board? Are we a policy only board? What's effectiveness in this mode of governance? Who, who are the offices, officers? What are the offices? What's the authority within them? And all of this becomes really useful, especially to new members. And then, um, around what kind of supports exist. And maybe they haven't been, and maybe this is a time, a conversation to have about what could help to be compliant with, let's say, document retention or minutes. Is there, is there a problem keeping accurate records of the minutes and how to record conflicts and how to, um, how to, um, adequately state motions and the results of votes around them and so on. And so there could be um, the, the board, of course, while they're responsible for these things, there may be difficulty in compliance with them. And this is an area where the where some support can be provided and put technical support transcripts um, in Zoom meetings, for example, can be um, can be created and that can help with minutes and meeting regulations around document retention. All right, so any questions on though on the procedural pieces or comments? Okay, well, let's move on then to structures. So, Board size is a big question. You know, how big should this board be? And really, there is no there is no empirical research that says such a size of board is the most effective associated with effectiveness. It varies. But there are a number of paradoxes to consider when thinking about board size. So the larger the board or the greater the number of directors, the more difficult it is to provide functional and meaningful roles for those uh, directors. And we know that functional inclusion is associated with board effectiveness. And so you'll want, you want whatever size of the board you have, you want those members to have functional roles. 
the greater the number of directors, the more time is going to be needed for board meetings, perhaps, to arrive at, to de deliberate issues and to um, decide them and vote on them, especially if the board has a, um, uses consensus decision-making where, where the board really needs to reach consensus on a decision. So that's gonna take more time. Conversely, the smaller the board, the fewer the directors, the more difficult it's going to be to get a valid representation of the views of the community that the board and organization serves. And so it might be more efficient, but it may not be effective in bringing all of those voices um, to the table. And along the lines of smaller the number, uh, of directors, the more difficult it is to do the work of the board, to meet the demands of the governance function. Uh, I'm seeing this with another board here where um, the board has um, created a new strategic plan and it's aligned its committee to monitor that plan, committees of the board. The board only has seven members. And so it's, um, it was, struggling with monitoring and within committees and then meeting as a whole of a board. One of the solutions that that board decided was to meet every other month. It only had to meet four times a year and then to meet in committee every other month. So the committees then would meet one month and then they would bring issues and action items to the board the next month. And that seems to be working well. And that seems to be um, a structural issue, a structural um, treatment to that problem. Um, solutions, but there can be other solutions for board size issues. For example, if you don't want to increase the size of the board, um, you can create advisory boards. Um, and committees with non-board members who have some functional expertise to bear on that committee. And that actually becomes a good breeding ground for succession planning and who your next board members may be. So they can cross train in these sort of voluntary roles and then um, that gives them some experience and um, to develop leadership competency and and some knowledge and history of the organization. Engaging the board members in functional committees um, or individual roles on the board. So for example, maybe some of your board members, and I've seen this on another board that, um, that I'm working with, where some lawyers, for example, on that board may provide individual advisory roles that aligns with their experience. And outside of that, some of them have said to me, they really question their, um, their role on the board and that um, their contributions outside of that. So it may be that you have certain people on the board for a certain function and you may engage them in a different way. 
Um, and if you can't, I mean, it, it, you may not have to bring everybody on. Another board that I'm working with is consult is obtaining the kind of expertise that it needs um, that the board used to have, but lost some key individuals, and they are really hard to replace by contracting with them and um, bringing them on in very um, to to provide expertise to inform decisions um, in a very specific role as contractors. So those are some ways that you can mitigate some of the challenges that you see um, with the size of the board and and choose solutions that uh, really really do address the problem. Some of the other um, structural changes could be with the offices themselves and um, just defining those uh, roles and um, those responsibilities associated with them and then providing training and development for, within them. And uh, for those who fill the position, I was meeting with a board chair yesterday who, when she came onto the board, she had a 10-minute phone call and she never saw the person again. <laughs> and she was really challenged in trying to get up to speed on her role. And of course, everyone who comes onto board wants to do a good job. So formalizing training and development for officers um, is a good solution to this. Um, to, to a structural problem. Um, succession planning as well. So choosing officers who are going to sort of ascend into the role. So vice chairs who will then ascend into the chair position and giving lots of thought to that. And again, providing support for um, those uh, people and positions so that they can um, meet the demands of them. I'll give you an example of my own experience. I'm chair of a governance committee on a board and we were really struggling with, um, we had a lot of issues we were engaged in. We were really struggling, um, coordinating meetings, getting minutes of meetings done and um, moving those to the board. And so one of the solutions was to have an admin, uh, a support from the organization um, work with us to provide that. And we've been more effective since then. Committees as well. Um, as you saw, committees are one of the uh, uh, perceived greatest challenges in this area on boards. So being clear about what, which committees you have and why you have them, what's their function, and um, and deciding whether they're still relevant or not. Um, some of the, you know, some of them are often taken for granted, like an executive committee. And some of the cri criticism of executive committees could be that they are governing for the board. The issues come to the executive committee, they deliberate. And then when it gets to the board, they simply rubber stamp. Um, and and never really get involved. So they really do have to be, um, the executive committee really does have to examine its influence on governance and um, perhaps 
ensure that the, that kind of challenge doesn't emerge. Again, there are certain committees that are required by law now, um, and I'm I put an asterisk around audit in in New York, for example. Um, finance, planning, nominating, it's all going to depend on the organization. Many, many boards now are consolidating, nominating, and board development into the governance committee function, and that redefining governance committee as responsible for um, ensuring the board's um, self-assessment and development. And so it can encompass a much broader scope of its work. So reflecting on that, um, policy committees can study policy issues and bring those back to the board. Um, working committees, again, those are um, focused on implementation of uh, policy or supporting the work, the operational work of the organization, depending on what kind of organization it is. There are risks associated with um, working committees. A board, um, another board had so many that it wasn't that its committees were all operational and there, were, there was very little governance going on. And so when we reflected sort of did an, an audit of the committees, we realized that the board was at risk um, on the governance side of meeting um, its own, uh, of monitoring itself and its own responsibilities. And so redefined some of those and became clear that the working committees were operational in nature and they were to assist the organization that didn't have the resources or the technical capacity to actually implement some of the policies that the that the organization made. Uh, task groups can come and go, and they can be um, sort of time and task bound around specific needs, like searching for a CEO or developing a strategic plan if it's not a policy um, board terms of reference, uh, many times they don't exist or they need updating um, for not just for, for the board, but these committees, clarifying what the committee's purpose, authority, composition, how meetings and decisions will be made. All right, so um, here are some of the changes and these are quotes from boards after they assessed performance, what were some of the changes that they made in this area? Um, boards, the workload changed, the workload adjusted and new committees were formed and some were dropped. So these are changes that one uh, board of an organization made. Another change, boards, uh, most required board uh, governance policies have been updated and approved. Monitoring and review strategies are under development. Board committees have developed work plans and output is monitored. Information systems are still underdeveloped. Yeah. 
Here's another one, redoing board committees and writing terms of reference and policies to new format and consistency. They're separating board and management policies. Again, that gets back to the, to the example I just made about being clear on what's governance and what's operational. Another one, we have undertaken a thorough review of all board policies and continue to review them. Committees are more structured with annual work plans. All right, these, if you can see, so of all the changes, and that was just a few of them, of all the changes that boards have made, you can see in this um, word cloud, the larger the word, the, the more, the higher the frequency of change. So you're gonna see the most changes that boards make. Again, the issue came up around committees is around board committees and um, being clear about governance, um, policies comes up, review is another um, frequently used word, updating the bylaws is another one and um, so on. And I'm going to show you here, these are all changes that boards have made following performance assessment. And um, you can see structures have improved, um, lots of improvement around the um, executive committee um, being more engaged with the board and um, governance committee ownership over board development and functioning. and um, um, recommendations coming to the whole of board for board um, deliberation. And that's just a sample of some of the changes that are made. If you're interested in the subject of board effectiveness, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast, share it with others in your organization and in your network, and leave a review, especially if you liked it. Feel free to leave comments and questions about the topic explored in this podcast or boards of directors that you would like us to explore in future podcasts. And if you have suggestions for me, please feel free to reach out using the contact information. Thanks for joining us.